I was born again in 1975, and immediately God started teaching me standing on Scripture, hearing Scripture from the Holy Spirit, taking that Scripture, meditating on that Scripture, doing the Scripture, and making it a part of my life. By approximately 1977, I started attending a church north of Dallas, Texas, called Word of Faith. Robert Tilton was the pastor. I thought it was great. They found scripture and stood on scripture, and it seemed like exactly what God had taught me, but it wasn't. Because what they were doing, instead of hearing from the Holy Spirit and using that scripture, they were taught to find a scripture which fit what they wanted and then claim that scripture and pray that scripture to get what they wanted. Some people call them the name it and claim it boys. And that's actually what we were taught in that church. Robert Tilton taught us, I remember distinctly one time in particular, he was teaching about faith and he said, what you do is if you want a red pickup, find a picture of that red pickup and put it on your refrigerator door. So every time you open the refrigerator, you will see that red pickup. And somehow you will find a way to get that pickup. They also taught find a scripture to justify your getting that pickup. I went to that church from like I say, approximately 77, up through 1982, God brought me out of it by giving me a dream, which caused me to leave that church. I thought I was like them. I really did. I thought all of these people were doing what I was doing. They weren't. Because God had taught me that he would bring a scripture to my mind, by the Holy Spirit. Or I would be reading the Bible, and it was a scripture would just kind of jump out at me. It was like you didn't want to read past that scripture. God taught me, don't read past it. Take that scripture, meditate in it day and night. Do the instructions given by that scripture and keep doing them. And that's what God taught me. He didn't teach me to hide a scripture. He taught me he would give me a scripture. Now, they were being taught to hide a scripture to justify what they wanted. But I didn't recognize that while I was going there. I thought they were being taught the same thing I was being taught by God. Our Bible teacher at that church told me, he said, Joan, you were never like anybody in that church. You were never like anybody there. And I said, I wasn't? He said, no. He said, we talked about faith, but you lived faith. 
I will share with you on this podcast the things that God showed me after he brought me out of that church to show me some of the problems. One of the first scriptures I ever remember God bringing to me was Romans chapter, I think it's 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. And by that, God got my attention to work toward getting out of debt and staying out of debt. I owned a small business at that time in Dallas, Texas, American Indian Arts Business. Mostly I sold jewelry and pottery, American Indian Arts jewelry and pottery. So I began meditating day and night on that scripture that was brought to my attention by the Holy Spirit. Owe no man anything. It definitely affected my life because before, it's not that I was a spendthrift. I owed about $6,000 total at that time, and I had used that money for merchandise for my business. But God taught me, just buy the amount of merchandise when you go out to buy merchandise. Just buy the amount of merchandise that you've saved up cash for. During that time, a woman, I met a woman who was an executive vice president with Braniff Airlines. She told me she'd never seen anybody run a business the way I was running this business. She told me that everywhere else that she had been, they taught her to use other people's money to make money. And I said, well, this is what God's taught me, owe no man anything but to love one another. Another scripture that parallels that is Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you read verse 2, it says, And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Now in the New Testament, each of us have the Holy Spirit, and we hear the voice of God usually by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and the Holy Spirit will bring to our mind the will of God for our life usually in the form of a scripture, but sometimes in the form of concepts. If you want to know more about the Holy Spirit, uh, read Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because Paul talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is search the heart of God to know the will of God to reveal to us the will of God in the specific issues of this present life. And the way the Holy Spirit does this is just by bringing a thought to our mind. It can be a scripture or it can be a concept. For example, in 2020, 
I had sold a house in Texas. I put the money in the bank. I hadn't used any of that money. I was considering having new upholstery put on the seats of my 25-year-old car. And as I thought about that, the Holy Spirit brought the following to my mind. Or you could just buy a new car. I'd never thought of that. I stopped. It's like a bolt of lightning hit me. I stopped and I began thinking about, well, I could buy a new car. I have plenty of money to pay cash for a new car and have money left over. Have pl- I felt I had plenty of money left over. So I seriously considered buying a new car. See, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't drive you into doing something. The devil might try to drive you, but the Holy Spirit doesn't. At least it's my experience he doesn't. He leads us. He gives us options, just brings to your mind, you might do this. This is an option. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Also, if you want to know more about the Holy Spirit, read John chapter 14, verse 26, John chapter 16, verse 13, because Jesus tells us four things the Holy Spirit does. He will teach you all things. He reminds you of everything Jesus has said. He guides you into all truth, and he shows you things to come. In showing you things to come, for example, I was injured very badly in a fall at my house. When the ambulance workers rolled me past the door of my house in Texas, I heard these words from God by the Holy Spirit. This thought came to my mind. You will never see this house again. That was the Holy Spirit showing me things to come. The Holy Spirit does that, and then you have a great anchor for your soul. That didn't disturb me at all. I knew well enough by then that if God was going to move me from that house, he even had something better for me to go to. So I wasn't frightened. And it turned out it was much better what, what was coming because I got to move into the house with another true believer. And it's been wonderful. I'm 83 now, and I really, it really wasn't a good idea for me to be living alone. And I knew it. And God worked it out for me to live with another Christian, to have a bedroom in her house. But I knew God would have something better for me than I planned for myself. Because it's always that way. As you have more time and experience with God, you will come to trust God. And you will come to know that you don't want to depend on your own ideas. You would rather follow God's ideas and let Him plan for you. It's much safer. So in Deuteronomy 28, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee 
if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God and do what he says. He brings it to our mind by a thought, by the Holy Spirit, or he might give us a dream. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now remember, this is if you will listen to the Holy Spirit who brings thoughts and ideas to your mind and follow him, you all these blessings come upon you. They really do. The Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee, if thou keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And we will know his ways because the Holy Spirit will show us his ways. Without the Holy Spirit, we would have a lot of trouble with this. But because we have the Holy Spirit who searches the heart of God to tell us the will of God for our life in that specific endeavor, because of that, we're going to walk in the way of God because he will author the way for us to go. You'll read this if you look at 1 Corinthians 2. And all the people of the earth that see thee shall know that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. Of course they're afraid of you if you follow God. You're different from them. And they also know that you might disapprove of what they're doing. So they're afraid of you. I know in my mother's family, her favorite, my favorite aunt, they would all say, well, artists think about this. You see, they didn't have God. She did. And she was their gold standard. Now, later, my mother was born again. But this is the way it is. When you are of God, often the people in your household, they don't have God. They don't have the Spirit of God. And they know you see differently than they do. Even if all of you attend church, you see in a different way because you have the Spirit of God. And so they are afraid of you. What will, what will you think about what they're doing? Because they really don't have what, they don't have that inner gift of the Holy Spirit like you do. And the Lord will make thee the head and not the tail. Now you can't be the head and be in debt. You're going to be serving that debt. And sometimes the search for money will take you in the wrong way as you try to service that debt. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God. 
And he says at one point, you will be the head and not the tail. You will be above only and not beneath. If you follow God, if you do what God says. So you can look at Deuteronomy 28. That does apply to us today in the church. Those blessings apply to us if we're following God. To follow God means to hear from God. First, you have to hear what to do. Before Abraham could do anything, he had to hear what to do. Before Noah could do anything, he had to hear from God what to do. It is not that we make up our mind as to what we want and then hunt a scripture to justify it. I'll give you an example of doing that. I wanted to marry, and when I went to Word of Faith, I had hoped that I would meet a a man that I would marry. The prayer group I attended was praying for me to marry. There was one woman in the prayer group said, of course it will need to be the will of God for Joan to marry. And everyone hesitated. And then she said, but of course he would want her to marry. Well, there was the catch right there. The whole prayer group was praying for me to marry. I was claiming a scripture which justified me to marry, which is in Isaiah, none shall want her mate. I had it written in the front of my Bible, and every morning I would pray that scripture. And I would ask God to to, uh, bring me a husband. There was one man I was dating. And he said to me, Joan, don't, don't forget to pray over our marrying. And he completely disappeared. And the thing is, I knew it was God who removed him. There was another man I was dating. I saw him coming down the sidewalk, heading toward my shop, and I heard these words. You can have all the money you want, but you're not going to have this. And I thought God was telling me I wouldn't be marrying Bob. But in retrospect, I think what God was telling me is I wasn't going to be marrying. Why, you might ask? Well, I think because of the work I do. It would be so difficult to be married and be a prophet and do the work I do. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm also an apostle, which deals with church doctrine. And it would be quite difficult to, to have been married and to do what I do in the calling of God that is on my life. Now, that's my opinion, that that's the reason that I did not marry. But I wanted to marry, and I was claiming that scripture constantly. But the one loophole is this. You have to pray according to the will of God. So if you're not getting a prayer answered, it may be because it's not the will of God for you. Please look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, in God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he hear us, if he hears us, whatsoever we ask, 
we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We have to be praying according to the will of God. So you have to seek God, his will. Thy will be done. You have to pray that God will show you his will in the matter at hand. Certainly, I wasn't doing that concerning a husband. I wanted to marry. Never did I consider the will of God for me. And at word of faith, I never once heard anybody say, you have to ask God for his will to be done in your life. They were teaching you instead to be as God, look for a scripture and claim that scripture over what you want to do, to justify what it is you want to do. And that is the difference between faith and the faith movement, which was seemed like faith, but it really isn't faith. Faith comes first by hearing what God has to say to you. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How did Noah have faith? God told him that he was going to destroy the land. But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, and so God told Noah to build an ark. It wasn't that Noah said, I'm going to build an ark so I can be saved when the destruction comes. God told him what to do, and he was saved when the destruction came. In the case of Abram, Abraham, Abram was his name until God changed it. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Let's see what God told Abram or Abraham. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. That was the instruction for Abraham. Get out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. He didn't know where he was going when he left the land that he had been in. He went by faith, by faith that God would do what he said, that God would show him. When I attended Word of Faith, there was a young couple that quit their secular job in Dallas and were going to, off to Israel to minister. A week later, they were back at church. We went to them and said, what happened? And they said, well, it was impossible in Israel because we don't know the language. Now, these young people wanted to do something for God, but it wasn't God who sent them there. Religious spirits can give you all types of projects to do for God. How would they know this was not of God to go to Israel? Matthew chapter 11, God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
Here they are. They quit their secular jobs, went off to Israel to minister. God's yoke is easy. His burden is light. James chapter 3, verse 17. The wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. One of the main ways I can evaluate whether or not it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me, because thoughts can come from your own desires, they can come from devils, or they can come from the Holy Spirit. The difference is, when they're from the Holy Spirit, they're pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. James 3.17 If something is extremely complex, if it's very expensive and I don't have the money to do it, I always know it is not the will of God. The idea that came from it to me Either I'm going the wrong way, doing it the wrong way, or it's not the will of God. Something is wrong if it's too complex, if it's too expensive. You have to be able to evaluate whether that idea is from God. God knows the future. God knows if you're going to need that money in the future that you're about to spend. Now, I'm 83 years old. I don't even drive a car anymore. But here I had an old car, 25 years old, and I really couldn't ride in it. I had had so many bones broken from accidents where I would fall and break a hip and break an arm and break a um, wrist. And every time I got in the car, it was so painful in the old car. Or you could just buy a new car. Well, is that an easy yoke? It certainly was because I just sold that house in Texas. And I could buy the car and have plenty of money left over. I felt there was money left over for my the rest of my life in the sense that if I should have to leave Pam's house and go to an assisted living facility, I believe there would be money from the sale of that house that would be enough money to pay for the time that I was left on this earth. Though I have prayed not to have to go to assisted living. But if I couldn't walk, for example, if I could not walk and get to the bathroom, I would have to go to assisted living most likely. There might be another plan God would have. But um, there are things like that. So is it safe to spend the money for that car? It is if God told you to. He knows how much you'll need in the future. He knows what's coming in the future. The only safety we have is what God tells us. So many times you'll be watching television nowadays and especially television news and Somebody will say, oh, my hope is in the government that they will get that vaccine to me. Oh, my hope is in this person. Ooh, what an awful way to live. My hope is in God. And if I don't hope in God, I don't have anything. 
there's a scripture that even says he puts us in the exact places to live and the exact times to live there. That's in Acts 17. I'm quoting from the NIV, but in Acts 17, the original version of the NIT, NIV, they changed it in the translation of the new versions. But in the original version, it says that God selects the places for us to live and the exact times that we'll live there. That is extremely comforting to me. I'd rather God provide for me. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed, the times that they're going to live there and the bounds of their habitation the exact places where they will live. I'm uh, reading from the King James, and the original version of the NIV translated it that he has determined the exact times that they will live there and the exact places that they will live. And I believe that is the correct interpretation. It basically says the same thing as the King James but in the King James language, it's a little harder to understand. And hath determined the times before appointed. God has determined the times that you're going to live on this earth and the bounds of their habitation, the exact places that you would live. Personally, I don't like this century and this decade. I much prefer... 1940s, 1930s, because it seemed to me that the overall society of people were closer to living by Bible rules. Although I know there was a lot of evil in those periods, but it wasn't flaunted in front of us the way it is today. Today, all of the evil is flaunted in our face but because of the scripture saying that God chose the exact times I would live on this earth and the exact places I would live, this helps me a lot. Another thing that helps me a lot is that I'm called as a minister to exhort the church. And the one thing that we have today that they didn't have in the 1940s is internet. So, this podcast goes all over the world. So for that reason, I can understand why I have to live in this period of time. Also, we are nearer to the end times. We're nearer to the Great Tribulation. And the people need these exhortations. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. As you see the day of the Lord approaching, the sin will get worse. And Jesus said, Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. I believe that means the love of many for the word of God will wax cold. But they who endure to the end, the same will be saved. That is in Matthew 24, 
verses 12 and 13. And I know this, that these exhortations help us to be sustained and to endure to the end because the sins we see in front of our faces when we turn on our television sets or when we just go out into the world, we see people wearing clothing that we just can't stand, women that wear almost no clothing. I hate this. All types of sins are flaunted in front of our face. Homosexuality, all of our sins. It's not my idea to say homosexuality is a sin. I'm simply quoting to you what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, verse 26. Let's read it. Start at verse 25 who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. Now this is a person who would look at a mountain and praise the mountain and all this, but not think of the creator. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. For this cause... God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I'm reading from Romans chapter 1, verses 25 through 28. So it is not my idea that homosexuality is a sin. It's what God says in the Bible. Some other problems with the doctrines that are taught at Word of Faith and the faith movement. You are taught that all good is from God and all bad is from the devil. One of the mistakes Eve made is that she wanted to be wise and be as God. If you will look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, the devil said to Eve, it's fine to basically, it's fine to eat that fruit because God does know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Humans want to be as God. Even Christians, because they don't quite have faith in God yet. It takes a little experience with God, I think, before you have faith in God. They want to be as God, planning their own life, doing their own things. I don't want to be as God I want God to choose for me and then tell me what to do because that's the only way I feel safe. 
But in the beginning, I wanted to be as God, getting what I wanted. But it doesn't work. But in the faith movement, if it doesn't work, guess what? You're told you have weak faith, and when you get more faith, it will work. And they have scripture they base this movement on. It's in Mark. And if you say to this mountain, be thou moved, and you believe in your heart, it will be done for you. Well, that's a true scripture. Most churches are based on true, some true scripture. But the problem is they don't follow all the scriptures and compare scripture upon scripture. And that's where the problem lies. But one of the main problems in the faith movement is they want to be as God and they really teach their people to be gods. Not to seek the will of God, but to get what you want by claiming a scripture. If it doesn't work, they say you have weak faith. Then there's the doctrine that Kenneth Copeland teaches, which is authority of the believer. I used to hear him teach back in the 80s, early 80s. And as I understood the doctrine, that you have authority over the devil. And all good is from God and all bad is from the devil. Well, that sounds reasonable. It's just not scriptural. Because there are scriptures where God says, I create good and I create evil. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would not give in to Moses, so that God could show his works, his great wonders in Egypt. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. I've written these scriptures out on um, the page where our podcast is on our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations. If you will go to that and look at the right-hand side of the page where it says podcast, you'll find this uh, podcast listed. You can click on that and hear the podcast, but you will also see details written out. You will see all these scriptures which show what I have said to you on this podcast. God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Let me give you just one section of scripture where you can see that clearly written. Exodus 10, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show thee my signs before him. Exodus 10, 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh would not let them go. Exodus 11, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of the land. Isaiah 45 verses 6 and 7. I am the Lord, and there is none else, says God. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. I make peace and create evil. 
So you can't say all good is from God and all bad is from the devil. And when God brought me out of the faith movement, he showed me one passage of scripture where after the crucifixion of Jesus, there was a great earthquake. And when the centurion and the men that were with him saw the things done by the earthquake, after Jesus was crucified and died, they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. They believed. Well, that earthquake was not bad. God showed me that. There was a time when I was in the faith movement, and they were teaching that authority of the believer, that the devil couldn't touch your property or your own household or anything like that if you took authority over the devil. There was a hurricane that hit Houston at that time, and it destroyed property, and it killed people. And I thought, well, why didn't some of these great men of faith, like Robert Tilton and Kenneth Copeland, why didn't they take authority over the devil and stop that hurricane from hitting Houston? It's because they don't have authority over the devil. The doctrine's wrong. But once again, if you're in that movement and you point this out, they just say your faith is not strong enough. If you can't take authority over the devil, you don't have strong enough faith. There's a passage of scripture where it says even Michael, or one of the uh, strongest angels, Gabriel or Michael, I think it was Michael, he didn't say the he didn't rebuke the devil. He said the Lord rebukes thee. We turn to God for him to control the devil. Weather is from God. Hail, fire, lightning. It's from God. And that's another thing we have to understand. You can't control the weather. It's from God. Psalm 18, 13, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Psalm 148, verse 8, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Isaiah 30, 30, and the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lightning down of his arm and the indignation of his anger, and with the flame of a devouring fire, with scatterings and tempests and hailstones. Look at Revelation chapter 8, 9, and 16 during the Great Tribulation, when God sends the plagues upon this earth. You're not, not going to stop them. Nobody's going to stop them. There are many scriptures which show us these truths. In 1979, God gave me a terrifying dream. I went into a room that was filled with people. A man was speaking to the group. I sat down in the room and began to listen to this man who was speaking. 
A second man rushed in and came to the side of the room and said, Stop, wait. Can't you see? It's too late. It's already begun. And then he disappeared. The first man continued speaking. No one in the room seemed at all interested in the warning that the second man had given. No one in the room showed any interest at all in seeing what had already begun. But I was interested, and I looked out the windows to see what had begun. There was a tall pole out there with a yellow civil defense type speaker on top of the pole, which was set there to warn us. But instead of warning us, there was a poisonous gas coming out of the speaker, and it was coming directly toward those of us who were seated in that room, and I know I knew that gas would kill us. I looked at the man seated next to me. He had a big smile on his face, and he was looking directly at the speaker. And then I saw it. This man was a corpse. He was already dead. And I looked at the other people in the room, and they were corpses. They were already dead. They looked alive. They had a great smiles on their faces looking at the man speaking. But they were dead. They were corpses. As I sat there among them, I began to feel drowsy. I began to drift off, and I knew the gas was going to kill me as I sat there among them. I didn't know what that dream meant. That dream was given to me in 1979, but I didn't know what it meant. In 1982, on a Wednesday night, I was at Word of Faith. I looked at the man seated next to me. He had a big smile on his face. He was looking directly at Robert Tilton, who was preaching that night. He was the man in the dream. He was the corpse in the dream. I looked at the other people in the auditorium that night and they seemed to be the congregation that was in that dream. I was shocked. And I realized what I was being shown in the poison gas dream was the very things that was intended and set in place to warn us was being used to gas us to death. The message is wrong. So I got up and went to the ladies' room and began praying. And I said to God, I think you are showing me to leave this church. So I'm going to go get in my car and drive away. But if you want me to come back, I'll turn around and come back. Well, God didn't want me to come back. He began after that to show me many of the things I've shared with you today because the years that I was in that church movement I didn't see the things that I've shared with you today it wasn't until I came out of that movement that I saw these things 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 Paul says let no man deceive you by any means for that day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The falling away was going to cause the man of sin to be revealed because 
Well, God said to me in 1982, the falling away are not people leaving the church. The falling away are the churches leaving the scripture. And as soon as the churches leave the scriptures and set up other doctrines, the man of sin is revealed. Antichrist is revealed by the leaving of scripture. Antichrist could not move into the churches as long as all the scriptures in the New Testament were in place. But the minute they started changing scriptures, like Matthew 5.32, where Jesus said the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. When they eliminated scripture like that, Antichrist could move in because Antichrist is the man of lawlessness and is a spirit. So Antichrist lives in the spirit of the ministers and the congregations that accept incorrect doctrine. They fell away from doctrine. Paul said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is that desire to be God. They do not let the scriptures rule over their doctrine. They change the doctrines and they rule over it themselves. This is not just at the faith churches, faith movement churches. It's in all the churches. They change the doctrine because the doctrine of the Bible would not be popular because society itself wants to look religious and they want to have freedom to sin. We who are of God want freedom from sin. There's a big difference between wanting freedom to be approved in your sins and wanting to be freedom from sin. And by doing the scriptures, we have freedom from sin. But if you do the scriptures, if you preach the scriptures in those churches, you will not have big followings. There was a man that told me this. He, he was former pastor in the Indiana Street Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. And he said, Oh, we have such a problem at the church. We just don't have room to seat the people. We've built onto the church three times and we still can't seat all the people who are trying to come to church. And I said to him, Well, if you would teach what Jesus says in Matthew 5.32, that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, about half of those people would get up and leave you and then you would have no problem seating the people at your church building. That's why they have big crowds is they've changed the doctrines of Christ in order to please the people. So beware. We're at the end times. All of this is ordained to happen. The falling away, Jesus can't come until there's a falling away. The falling away in the churches today shows us we're at the threshold of Jesus' return and the great tribulation.
Thank you for allowing me to speak this to you today.